Hello and welcome back to another episode of the VJ Oncology Podcasts, where we bring you the latest updates in oncology and exclusive insights from global experts. As part of our post-ASCO series, we'll be focusing today on updates on PSMA-targeted radionuclide therapy for prostate cancer from the ASCO 2021 meeting. Joining us to share the latest trial data and explore next steps in the field, we have Karim Fizazi from the Gustave Roussy Institute in France and Scott Tagawa from Wheel Cornell Medicine. Up first, Professor Fizazi explains the rationale behind PSMA targeting and shares details of the vision trial. PSMA is a transmembrane protein which is very often overexpressed in men with advanced prostate cancer especially when the disease becomes resistant to castration and other treatments. So it's a perfect target. I'm saying that also because it's, uh, it's expressed very low or, or not at all expressed by other cells bef- besides prostate cancer cells. Uh, actually, the salivary glands do express PSMA, but this is really an exception in the body be- besides prostate cancer. So again, ideal target, PSMA uh, lutetium is the the current way to target um, PSMA um, expressing cells. There are actually some other means uh, coming, but for today we'll speak about PSMA lutetium. And actually uh, the the concept is quite simple. You uh, actually bind to a ligand to PSMA, a radioactive uh, compound, which is lutetium, so that the ligand finds the cancer cells and the lutetium hopefully will kill the cancer cells when injected intravenously. So we know for quite a while now that a PSMA lutetium is active in this disease in advanced prostate cancer, even in patients who have failed a next generation hormonal agents and taxane. We, we knew this from anecdotal experience uh, from Germany. The Germans actually invented the, the, the treatment and also from uh, phase two and randomized phase two conducted in Australia. So Vision is actually the first phase three trial directly assessing the efficacy and toxicity of PSMA lutetium on top of standard of care in men who have already exhausted existing options, including uh, AR targeted agents and taxane. So you could use any standard of care you want it in this situation, except radium 223, just because you cannot combine uh, radium 223 with PSMA lutetium, and also with the exception of cabazitaxel for same reasons, absence of combo uh, data. And patients were randomized to receive standard of care alone or standard of care plus PSMA lutetium four cycles, once one every uh, six weeks, and you could actually add uh, two additional if a patient was responding and tolerating well the treatment. Data are, I think, crystal clear. Uh, The two primary endpoints were met. Overall survival, which is obviously the most important when it comes to medians, approximately 11 months in the control arm versus 15 months in the experimental arm. So almost a 40% reduction in the risk of death. And actually the same applies to the co-primary endpoint of the graphic progression-free survival. 
uh, with uh, approximately three months in the control arm as a median and uh, nine months plus or minus in the experimental arm with PSMA lutetium. So very clear efficacy data coming together with response uh, in being improved with PSMA lutetium. Uh, the other good news is that, generally speaking, it's a rather well-tolerated treatment that can be used also in the elderly, for example. Uh, we saw an excess in dry mouth, uh, again, due to the fact that PSMA is expressed by salivary glands, uh, but nothing very bad, to be honest, and this is also my own experience with patients. We also see uh, also so a, an excess in hematological toxicity with PSMA lutetium, and this is because you are irradiating part of the bone marrow. So excess in anemia, thrombocytopenia, leukopenia, but again, nothing really bad as compared to the, to the control arm. Some nausea and vomiting, you need to, to use uh, prophylactic drugs uh, to avoid that, and it's obviously doable. So again, lots of good news from the efficacy and the safety uh, uh, aspects of, of, of the trial. And I think and I hope that uh, PSMA lutetium will soon be uh, approved by various agencies uh, across the world, which is great for patients. Based on these excellent data, I think there is a clear rationale to test PSMA lutetium in earlier stages. Uh, for example, in men who have failed uh, an AR drug for a metastatic castration-resistant disease, but who have not seen uh, chemotherapy or who cannot tolerate it. Um, a trial is just starting in the space. And also, uh, there is a rationale to test PSMA lutetium even early on in the course of the disease. For example, in men with de novo metastatic prostate cancer who are just about to start their systemic treatment, with androgen deprivation therapy combined with an AR drug, uh, perhaps dostaxel, there is you know, a clear rationale to test PSMA lutetium in this space to try again to improve the outcome of these men. Uh, of course, we, we saw fantastic improvement in the last five years from various trials for these men, but those treatments are still not curative, so we, there, we, we should indeed uh, test PSMA lutetium there, and uh, actually uh, a second trial is also planned in this space. Professor Tagawa will now discuss the dose escalation study of 225-actinium J591 in progressive prostate cancer that was shared at this year's ASCO meeting. So I think that most people understand um, what PSMA is as a cell surface um, antigen, which we use as a target both diagnostically and therapeutically. Uh, I think most people are aware that there are some um, radio-labeled anti-PSMA compounds, mostly small molecules. So either PSMA-11 or DCFPYL for diagnostics or PSMA-617 or INT um, that have been used uh, for therapeutics, most often radio-labeled with 177 lutetium, which is a beta emitter, beta and gamma. Um, what people may not realize is that antibodies have been used for a lot longer um, and are being developed um, a lot for uh, PSMA target alpha emitters. Uh, I think that the reason that the first two trials, um, prospective trials, have used antibodies is because of their biodistribution, uh, which, which is um, largely avoiding some of the 
PSMA expressing non-tumor areas such as parotid and salivary glands, lacrimal glands, kidney, and small bowel, uh, at least as we see by imaging and, and dose imagery studies. So in any case, this was a phase one um, dose escalation and dose expansion study of actinium-225 g 501 so a powerful alpha emitter in actinium-225 um, and g 501 which is um, an externally binding, uh, internalizing a monoclonal antibody against PSMA. Um, the initial dose escalation results were presented last year. Uh, essentially, it was patients with metastatic CRPC following uh, potent AR uh, target therapy and chemotherapy unless they were ineligible or refused chemotherapy. Uh, the dose escalation part had seven cohorts. We went up to all seven cohorts. There was one DLT in cohort six, uh, which was anemia and thrombocytopenia, um, but none, zero to six in cohort seven, which was 93.3 kilo. Um, um, kilobecquerel per kilogram. So that dose was expanded and representing the entire phase one plus expansion at ASCO. Uh, basically, it was a total of 32 patients. Um, there was no pre-selection for uh, by uh, PSMA PET, although those that had PSMA PET generally had at least one lesion that showed some uptick. Could have been a little bit, it could have been a lot. Um, and prior PSMA-targeted therapy uh, was allowed. So basically, we demonstrate overall, uh, this is a primarily a safety study that was overall safe. So in addition to um, that one DLT, there was um, some additional adverse events, uh, but, but mostly restricted to grade one and two. Um, so grade three and four adverse events were generally speaking reversible uh, bile expression, the thrombocytopenia, anemia, neutropenia in a, in a handful of patients. Uh, and then um, four out of the 32 had transient uh, grade three fatigue, but the rest were grade one and, and two. And that includes um, a minority with uh, dry mouth or xerostomia, which is a, a problem for PSMA targeted small molecules and potentially a major problem for PSMA target um, alphas using small molecules uh, because of the sensitivity, rate of sensitivity of the salivary glands. We saw about a third, it was 37% that had uh, grade one xerostomia. Most of those that had xerostomia had prior uh, lutetium PSMA. Um, so there may be some additive effects. Um, and then despite no selection for PSMA, the majority had some PSA decline, with about 44% having a 50% um, PSA decline. Uh, we had about two-thirds that had circulating tumor cell counts before and after, and about three-fourths had control, meaning half of those had drop, um, half overall had drop, and another quarter had uh, stability at, at undetectable. Um, and then um, it's small numbers, um, admittedly, but um, the, the PFS, which is mostly biochemical PFS, after a single dose of the drug was about five months. Um, which is pretty good in overall survival 11 months. So um, that first in human study we conclude is successful. It appears that that single dose is tolerated. Um, it has some preliminary efficacy. So we've now moved on to some additional studies, um, either um, two doses in a fractionated fashion like we've done with lutetium, um, multiple kind of more traditional dosing, moderate dosing every six weeks. Um, 
a retreatment study where patients have been treated before and then at some point later progress and can get a PSMA targeted uh, radionuclide therapy again. I think that's um, uh, especially pertinent um, given the results of the vision study, which will be presented. Um, and then a couple of combos, one uh, combo that is um, both antibody as well as small molecule, alpha and beta combinations, uh, as well as a combination with pembrolizumab and AR signaling here. That's actually a randomized trial. So um, uh, it was very nice to finish the study and, and thanks to PCF, Department of Defense, NIH, through our score, and, um, and philanthropy for really helping us get the study done. It's nice to see that um, was done and um, now is, is uh, led to additional studies. Professor Tagawa will now talk on the next steps and unanswered questions regarding PSMA-targeted nuclei therapy. I think that in the relatively near future, at least lutetium PSMA 617. So I would categorize that as the beta emitter with a small molecule. Um, I'm pretty sure that's going to be approved for kind of heavily pretreated MCRPC. Um, and I, I think the initial kind of next step is already being done, as I mentioned, with multiple phase threes of similar types, although one of these is an antibody that's, in, that's going to phase three, but beta uh, emitter. Uh, PSMA-targeted radionuclide therapy, moving to early lines of therapy. So uh, I think we've already now proven that in late stage, it can work either head-to-head against cabazitaxel or following cabazitaxel. And looking earlier, uh, that may be alone or some of the trials are in combination with hormonal therapy, So, which makes a lot of sense. So that, that I think, is the initial kind of a next step because most doctors and most patients want to use it earlier but we have not proven that it's definitely that it definitely works in that situation or that it's safe in that situation because there can be long-term toxicity from, from radiation just kind of um, generically. So that, anyway, that's one um, unanswered question. Another unanswered question is what's the optimal patient population? So uh, many have taken for granted that PSMA positivity by imaging and kind of a quote theranostic type of platform is much better than treating kind of anyone. Um, I think that's true. There was a publication earlier this year um, that points towards that, uh, but it also uh, points towards the possibility of those with poor imaging still a subset, a smaller subset uh, can still respond. There's some evidence about DNA repair defects that maybe it's gonna be better, which makes sense in terms of radiation. So I think there's some unanswered questions about the optimal patient population. And then very few have addressed the optimal dose or schedule. When I say dose, I'm talking about as from an oncology point of view, what goes into the vein, the administered dose, not from a radiation dosimetry point of view, which is another unanswered question. Can we individualize treatment? You know, I think it's great. We've done the initial important part showing that it works uh, kind of as a quote, medical oncologist, I can give us a flat dose and it looks like it's safe and it will work. Um, but I think that we can um, further optimize the therapy uh, in terms of line of therapy, different combinations, patient selection, and possibly uh, either individualized dosing or maybe uh, a more in dose intense um, type of an administration uh, like we do with, with external beam. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. 
Thank you to Professor Fuzazi and Professor Tagawa for sharing their insights and thank you for listening. Follow us on Twitter at VJ Oncology and share your thoughts on the topics discussed with us. If you enjoyed, make sure to visit vjoncology.com for up-to-date information from the experts themselves, as well as more exclusive GU cancer coverage. Be sure to subscribe to VJ Oncology podcasts, which are available on Spotify, Apple and Podbean. We have lots more exciting post-ASCO news to share with you. See you next time.